Guys, we're starting a brand new series today called Hunger and Thirst. I don't know too many things people love to talk about more than food. I mean, am I right? Movies, their favorite movies and their favorite foods. People love to talk about uh, both. And we're going to get into a little bit today, but one of the things this morning, I woke up and I already started thinking about what I was going to eat today for the big party. Chicken wings. There is a place in my heart and soul, inside of my body, it doesn't matter how full I am, there is a special place, an extra little tank, a trap door that always has room for chicken wings. Am I right? Yes, especially if they're from Costco. The Costco chicken wings will bless you. Okay, they will bless you. You know that's right over there. They're strong. What is amazing, though, is that as many times as I've eaten, I've eaten a lot of meals in my 39 years of living. I've eaten a lot of food. I've eaten too much food. <laughs> I have. What's crazy is that I always still am never satisfied. I always get up the next day still hungry. I always get up looking for more food. Even last night, I had, the great, I had a pot roast and it was delicious. And literally like an hour later, I was, I mean, just famished in the kitchen looking for something to satisfy my hunger. We're starting a series called Hunger and Thirst. And as much as we hunger and thirst for food or drink that ultimately never fully satisfies, Jesus offers us something very different. He offers a relationship to you and I and the kind of living to you and I that will truly satisfy you on the inside. And many times we never fully taste it. Understand this. So turn to the book of Matthew. This is going to be our, our themed text for the entire month of February. Matthew 5, 6 says this. This is Jesus. He's preaching to the crowds. It's, it's what we call the Beatitudes. Many people think this is a collection of Jesus' teachings. He didn't just rip this all in one setting. Regardless of what you think or believe, this is what he says in Matthew 5, 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are you when you hunger, when you have an appetite for the things of God. You will experience a soul-filled satisfaction, a filling when you hunger and appetite and get desperate and desire the things that God desires. Righteousness is just a fancy word for right living. The right things. God's heart. If you will hunger for the things that God is hungry for, you will actually experience a filling on the inside that nothing else can compete with. Isn't that incredible? It is. But many of us, even after putting faith in Christ, find ourselves dry. We find ourselves 
passionless. We find ourselves unable to really find a hunger and a desperation for the things of God. Maybe you didn't start out that way, but you found yourself there now. You know what's interesting about hunger? If you've ever fasted, you can fast. And those first few days of eating no food, they're terrible. It's so hard. But by day three or four, I kid you not, something begins to happen. It's, you don't feel the sharpness of that hunger pang anymore. In fact, if you've ever read writings of people who found themselves starving, they don't find themselves hungry the way you do on a Friday night for a snack in the kitchen. When you've gone without food for a very long time, your body actually begins to shut down and the, the hunger pains that tell you it's time to eat aren't actually working the way that they should. And your soul is actually the exact same way. If you deprive and deny your, your spirit, your soul, the, the inner man, the spirit man, the things that it truly needs... You will find yourself initially really hungry, but if you go long enough, the hunger begins to dissipate. And instead of a desperate, acute hunger for more of God, you find yourself just flat out empty on the inside, wondering what happened. I know God is real. I know He saved me from my sin. I know he rose again on the third day, but I have no passion for the things of God. You may call that being bored in your faith. You may call that a desert season. You can call it whatever you'd like. But when you don't hunger for God, you won't find yourself filled on the inside. Are you with me this morning? Jesus says it like this. He says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and with all your strength. It's a passionate kind of loving, isn't it? We don't read this text and initially think, oh man, Jesus is calling us to love God with, with, with passion, with vibrancy. But that's exactly what he's doing. If you're going to love Jesus, if you're going to love God, love him with everything that you've got. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Love him with all the fiber in your being. We talk about passion and we talk about hunger, but, but many times we, we, we find ourselves reading the pages of the Bible and we see these heroes in the Scripture who, who God does extraordinary things through. And the relationship they have with Him is unbelievable. They pray and they hear God and God answers and miracles happen. And I find myself looking at the Bible and I look at passion. This kind of hunger in Matthew chapter 5. And secretly, deep down, I think to myself, that must be something God reserved for those people. 
for the few, for the special ones. But me, you know, I'm kind of just mucking it out here in 2020, working my job, raising my kids. These people don't know what I'm dealing with. And we reserve this passion, this vibrant exchange and relationship between man and God. Somehow that is just reserved for the heroes of the Bible. And I have great news for you today, church. Number one, God desires deep and great and dynamic relationship with you. And the same relationship people have with God in the Bible is the same relationship you get to have with God. In fact, if you're on this side of the New Testament, which all of you are in case you didn't know, by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit, you have more afforded to you than everyone in the Old Testament who has this unbelievable unprecedented, miraculous, move-of-God type relationship with God, passion-filled relationships. Ones were filled with adventure, sacrifice, fighting evil and wickedness, battles. You read it and you think, this is amazing. It's like Braveheart and Gladiator and Last of the Mohicans all combined into one thing. It's, it's unbelievable. But is that for me? Yeah. Actually, it is. And it may look a little different. And it may taste a little bit different. But I can promise you, if you're sitting here this morning and you are in a relationship with God and you're finding yourself dry and empty, I have great news for you. It does not have to stay that way. It doesn't. And so we're beginning a series called Hunger and Thirst. And the scriptures tell us if you and I will hunger and thirst for the right things, you'll be filled. That's my hope for you. It's also my hope for me. Amen. Father, be with us as we open the Bible and as we read from the scriptures and look at the lives of people that follow you. Help us to be men and women who are passionate about you. By the way, Mark 12, verse 30, if you read from the Message Bible, this translation, this is what it says. Love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. I love that. My wife and I, when we first got into ministry, we had to raise money. We raised our salary for, to be a campus minister. And so we were all over places in the United States, meeting with churches, meeting with families. And there was a, a family friend of ours. He was married with children. He was, he was by 30 years older than us. He was kind of a mentor to me growing up. His name was Scott. Invited my wife and I over uh, to his house for dinner. His family's there, and we're sitting out on the back patio. He's done very well for himself. He's a very successful lawyer. And we're sitting and we're talking about life, and I'd been grinding it out in ministry. And, and all of a sudden, he just stops me, and I've never forgotten the words that he shared with me. They're very simple. But it's the kind of thing that when someone just kind of stops you, and interrupts you and gives you a word of, of, of advice, 
you don't forget it. And here's this very successful lawyer who appears to have everything going for him. And this is what he says, Andy, nothing will sustain you in this life more than passion for Jesus. Nothing will sustain you. Nothing will help you last longer. Nothing will fill you in an immeasurable way than passion for Christ. Meaning we've got to get some things out of our heads and dare I say, Words that we don't like to use oftentimes in church. But we've got to feel some things. People do not follow information. People do not follow charts and maps of the New Testament journey from Paul. They don't follow great lyrics. You know what people follow? They follow passion. They follow people who have been changed by Jesus and who are hungry for more of Him. Church, you know what I want? I want more passion at 39. I want to wake up with a greater desperation for more of Jesus in this church and in my life than I did yesterday and that I did the year before. Are you more passionate for Jesus today than you were a year ago? Do you hunger for more of Him? Because the thing that you need to sustain you is deep relationship with Jesus. And the way you're going to experience that is by learning to have a passionate, love-filled relationship with Him. Ask any married couple. They've got to fight to keep the passion alive in a marriage. It's very easy for the needle to move towards Emotional bankruptcy. And while I am not inviting us as a church to be the kind of church where you, during worship, just start running around, you know, the, the cafeteria and you just, Holy Spirit took over and I can't, I can't control myself anymore. Yes, you can. Okay? Yes, you can. It's nonsense. You can control yourself. But the pendulum has swung so far the other way that somehow relationship with God is just this cerebral experience. No, it's not. No, it isn't. Jesus wants the love from all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. So do this. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. We got three things here this morning that we're going to look at from the life of somebody in the Old Testament and his name is Caleb. Somebody say, come on, Caleb. That's right. Caleb is, is somebody that doesn't get a whole lot of press. When you, when you talk about heroes in the Bible, you think of David and Goliath. You think of Moses. You think of the judges. You think of Samson. But most of us don't initially think of Caleb. But Caleb is someone who lived his life passionate for the things of God. And I want us to just look at his life this morning. We've got a whole series wrapped around not just this man's life, but different things. Next week is signs that you're burning out and you didn't even know it. Signs that you're starving on the inside, but you're, you, you don't realize it. 
This week is on stoking the fire inside of you. So Numbers chapter 13, here we have the, the Israelites trying to enter the promised land and God has given the Israelites instructions to go scout out the land, but he's already told them that this is my promise to you. This is my inheritance. I've given you the strength. You have the grace. You've got the goods. I'm with you. I will make you victorious, but go ahead and check it out. Bring back the report. There's enemies in the land. And so Caleb is one of the 12 spies. Caleb and Joshua and the other ten. And this is what happens. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That's, by the way, those are giant people. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They've got all these reasons, all these things. Yes, it is, in fact, the land that you said it was. The land of milk, the land of honey, but there's a lot of big bad guys there. And you know what? I don't think this is really the right move for us. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Come on, Caleb. Come on. Nobody's saying anything about what God has already declared. Even Joshua in this moment has nothing to say. But it's Caleb who breaks the silence. And he doesn't just break the silence. He hushes everybody down. And he silences them. The voice of dissent. And he says, we should go do this. We can do it. Come on. We've got this. God is on our side. And the people literally want to rally together to kill him and Joshua. When we look at Caleb and his passionate relationship with God, he was someone who looked for opportunities to say yes to God. And I want you to hear this this morning. When I, when I find people whose the light's going out on the inside, when they find themselves bored or dry, oftentimes what has crept in is an unwillingness to trust God in the face of something that is frightening. And instead of saying, God, okay, here we go, I choose to trust you, my answer is yes. The answer suddenly becomes no, or it becomes, well, I know you said this. And yes, the fruit does in fact look good, comma, but there's also some other things over here. I think it's going to make this a little bit difficult, God. Can we, can we wait on this? Let's revisit this, Lord. Let's rethink this.
Numbers 14, verse 24. God has punished, he's punishing Israel because they will not trust him and they will not believe him. They are, they are forced to wander the desert for 45 years. Until the next generation is old enough to trust God and walk into the promised land, God is going to wait out those who just simply won't trust him. He's waiting for them literally to die. But this is what he says about Caleb. He says, because my servant Caleb, verse 24, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Come on, Caleb. See, you will not say yes to me so I'm going to use my servant Caleb. He's going to have to wait, unfortunately. But because he's got a different kind of spirit inside of me and he follows me with all of his heart, I'm going to bring him into this thing. Not only is he going to see it, his family's going to see it. And his family's family's going to see it. He follows me wholeheartedly. What does wholeheartedly mean? It means your whole heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bring some passion to this. Trust Him. Caleb followed God with his whole heart. He found ways to say yes. And you know, when you're hungry for something, you know this, church. When you're really hungry for it, you'll find a way to say yes. Think about it. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll figure out how to get there. I'm going to get there. I'll figure out a way to get the money for it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to be there on time. I know I've got to work, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. When you're hungry and desperate for something, you'll figure it out. You look for ways to say yes, not ways to say no. God is asking some of you to go and to do and to seek Him and to trust Him in fresh ways and in, instead of stepping out in a passionate, trust-filled relationship with Him, you got reasons why you can't. Reasons why you need to wait. Reasons why you're putting it off. Stop. And start serving and loving God wholeheartedly with all your soul, all your strength. All your mind and whatever I just missed in there. All of it. All that stuff. I'm not naive. Life has a way of hurting. It does. Life has a way of disappointing us. And this is one of the reasons that we, we, we have a hard time trusting God with our whole heart is because our heart has gotten hurt. You wrist and you got injured. You wrist and, and it got bruised. Think about it. Even just as a child, there comes a, a, a moment when, you know, dad, dad can do anything. 
Nothing can hurt dad. But then there comes a point when you realize that your father isn't, fortunately, impervious to injury, of wearing out. He has, he has an, a limited amount of strength. And at some point while you're a good father is always there for his children, there comes a point where, where you have to start living your life as a kid. You step out from under mom and dad's roof, but even when you're under that roof, you get hurt. You're in a relationship and you get injured. Someone has hurt your feelings and they've done it in a way that is truly betraying and it, it hurts. And you find yourself in danger of, of not giving your whole heart any longer to anything, including God. Think about it. I will give God all of this, all of this, all of that, but this I need to protect because this got hurt. This I'm going to hang on to. And so we find ourselves passion doesn't rise up the way that it should because we're not truly following God with our whole heart. Passion's found when you give God your whole heart. Joshua 14, verse 6. Number one, Caleb followed God with his whole heart, in case you missed that. If you're taking notes, point number one, when it comes to cultivating passion in your life. Which, by the way, if you've ever built a fire, we had a bonfire last week in the backyard of our house. I have more brush that has fallen down from trees and branches, and we went to work last weekend. But if it's windy outside... And I have to tell you, I was getting very frustrated because I could not get this fire going. You got your little kindling, and you got all your little branches and your twigs and your, your leaves, and you've got your fire starter, and you've got your flamethrower, and you've got all the things. And you're blowing on this, and it takes real work to get it going. And then you, you put the next little log on until it catches. And then you put a log that's a little bit bigger on and it takes work. And what's amazing is that it doesn't take but just a few minutes of abandoning that fire and the thing begins to go out. When we talk about passion for Jesus, if you just leave your relationship with him alone, don't be surprised that you don't have passion for him. Don't be surprised that you're not waking up in the morning excited to serve God. I remember in college, what I desperately wanted more than anything else was a reason to get out of bed. I wanted that relationship with Jesus to be something that drove me. Something worth living for. I had gotten saved at 13 years old, but my relationship with Christ up to that point was, was, it was a relationship, but it would never be described as something as having passion. And then all these weird Christians at my college were like willing to get up at 6.30 a.m. At, at, at my university. And they rented out a little room and they were praying for their professors 
and the dean of campus life and fraternities and sororities. And I thought these people were crazy. But something inside of them gripped them. They were hungry for God to move. They were hungry for more of God. They were desperate for His presence. And while I thought they were, in fact, completely unusual, I was captivated by the fact that people would live this way. How and why would your relationship with God move you in such a way that you would get out of bed early? That's insane. And yet, when God gets a hold of your whole heart, you're willing to be insane for His kingdom and for His purposes. And they invited me, and I finally went. And then I became the crazy one who was hungry for more of God to move in my life, on my campus, in my teachers' lives, in my fraternity. Passion began rising up inside of me. Joshua 14, verse 6. The people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Come on, Caleb. Come on. 85 years old and he is still as fresh as he was when he was 40. I want that. I want to be 85 years old and still fresh for the things of God. Still hungry for Him to use me. I'm not interested in retiring at 85 from the things of God. I still have dreams. I want dreams in my heart still. I want to see God do great things, not only in my kids and my kids' kids, but in my very life there are things that God has called you and I to do. And it's going to take some time trusting God and believing God and being reminded of who God is. You think over 45 years that Caleb wasn't tempted to forget? You think over 45 years 
of waiting. He wasn't, he wasn't tempted to say, I guess this just isn't what God has for me. I think I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go sleep on this. You think there were other voices in his head saying the exact same thing? Friends? People at the dinner table? But Caleb stayed fresh and strong for 45 years. Old is whatever you make it when it comes to the things of God. In my book, Caleb is young. He's got a young heart. Why? Because he's still passionate for God. Caleb didn't forget. A lot of us can't wait five minutes for God to do something. Caleb waited 45 years. And we say to ourselves, oh, I just I can't do it anymore. Oh, I don't know if God's even faithful. Does God care for me? Does he love me? Does he have a plan for me? Yes, he does. But it's going to take you fighting and remembering that God is faithful. There are going to be things that don't work out according to your timetable. But you've still got to be willing to find passion in your heart because God is good and God is faithful. Turn to Psalm 77. It's my phone down there. Oh, I just have my big Bible. Psalm 77. I want you to read, I want to read this to you. This was my verse. When my dad died, you're tempted to want, you, it's difficult to trust God in moments when you've experienced pain. And you know what's really hard to do? It's hard to be passionate about the things of God. And this was my chapter. I prayed this literally for months, and it was all I knew to pray. My dad was my best friend. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, and He will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God and I groan. I meditate, my spirit becomes weak. You kept me from closing my eyes. I'm troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old, years long past. At night I remember my music. At night I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious to me? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Caleb waited 45 years. You think he didn't feel this way? So I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect 
on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like my God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you, it trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning up, lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water. But your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You want passion in your life? You're going to have to learn to remind yourself of God's faithfulness even when he doesn't look like you think he should look. You want passion in your life? you got to dig down into the depths of your soul and remind yourself of the character and nature of the God that you follow. Is He good? Yes, He is. Then begin to remind yourself. And sometimes all you know to do is to say, God, you did that, you did this, you did that. And there, there, there's an anchor that begins to, to deepen once again in your heart and your soul. And you've got to fight for it. Because you're going to be tempted to forget, but Caleb didn't forget. He didn't forget. Oh, he remembered. In fact, the minute the moment came, what did he say? I mean, it was like he was waiting for this moment his whole life. Remember when Moses said this to me? Game on. Give me that land. I'm ready. I was 40 when he said it to me. I'm 85 now, and my legs are still fresh. I'm going to take this country, God willing. I'm going to drive the enemy out. That's passion. Caleb remained ready to battle the enemy. He's point number three. I know I'm going a little bit long, but that's okay. Super Bowl is not till like... 9 p.m. or whatever. You'll be fine. Caleb remained ready to battle the enemy. Don't you love that? I'm going to say something here that's going to sound like I'm dividing camps, and I don't mean to. I, I want you to hear this because old and young are whatever you make it. But there is something... Young people need to see older people running after God with passion, with fight, with hunger. Young people, you need to also be quiet and listen and learn the ways of persevering and finding hunger deep down in your soul. And people who've weathered difficult things, you need to listen and learn from those who are older than you. The Caleb's in your life. I want more 85-year-old Caleb's who are desperate for God to move. Caleb remained ready to battle the enemy. 
There were giants in the land, and at 85, he wasn't ready to be done. What are the giants in your life that you're still just unwilling to fight? Start fighting again. Lace up your boots. Sharpen the, the sword. Begin to pray again. Walk around your living room and literally pray the promises of God. Does that sound crazy and weird? It is crazy and weird. But you know what? Fight for the things of God in your life. Stop being apathetic. Stop being complacent. Get off your chair and begin to believe God for His purposes in your life. You may have some enemies that you've allowed to overrun your, your family or your home. Begin to fight again. The giant of apathy or complacency, the giant of lust, the giant of immorality, the giant of whatever you might have. Begin to fight the enemy again. Don't quit. Take a deep breath and go get it. close with this. One of, my favorite, one of my favorite preachers is named George Whitfield. Outside of Billy Graham, no one has preached to more people on this planet than George Whitfield, and yet many of you have probably never heard of this man. In the 18th century, 17, late 1700s, he preached in England, he preached, he preached in the United States. There was no one outside of uh, political candidates that had more notoriety in the, in the original colonies, colonies of the United States than George Whitfield. Benjamin Franklin has him reported as preaching in front of crowds of 40 and 50,000 people. No church building, just fields. sure I get all my facts right. He portrayed the lives of biblical characters with a realism no one had seen before. He cried, he danced, he screamed. <laughs> I love it. Among the enthralled was an actor named David Garrick, and he said, I would give a hundred guineas if I could literally just say the word oh with the power of George Whitfield. In his lifetime, he preached at least 18,000 sermons to upwards of 10 million hearers. He started orphanages, traveled the world. He literally started an orphanage in Savannah, Georgia. The crowds were aggressive in spirit, and as one account tells it, the crowds elbowed, they shoved, they trampled over themselves to hear of divine things from the famed Whitfield. Once Whitfield started speaking, however, it was described as a, as a spellbound mob, and you could hear an absolute pin drop in a crowd of tens of thousands. People who described it, including Benjamin Franklin, said they'd never heard a silence of a crowd like this before. A crowd that was hungry. And a preacher who was hungry. He 
He preached to slave audiences like no one had before and is considered to be the genesis of African-American Christianity. He did what no one had done prior. He ignited the Great Awakening and became one of the most formative persons in American history. A man you probably have never even heard. And at 55 years of age, 55, as a man who had loved the word, devoted his life to the scriptures, described as a man when he preached that you, many times the crowds would be gripped with, with emotion they didn't even know they had, and they would cry because of the love that was communicated through his preaching. They couldn't get away from the love of God, the love that gripped the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. After his wife had died, at 55, he's preaching, and he was preparing for his, his message, and he felt in this moment that it was going to be his last. He literally wrote, I sense the Lord taking me. And he wrote, God, give me one more message. Let me preach one more time. Let me do battle one more time. And he stood up at 55 and he preached his last message and he went to his room. He laid down and he went to sleep and he never woke up. gripped by his legacy. A man that was so devoted to, for God to use him. Much like Caleb, still fighting all the way to the end. I've got more giants to slay. Come on. Let's go, God. One more time. It's amazing when your heart and your attitude are, God, use me. God, I choose to remember. God, I give you my whole heart. God, I'm willing. My answer is yes. Whatever you say, God knows not in my vocabulary. It's amazing how you won't struggle to find passion in your relationship with Jesus when that's the disposition of your heart. Father, be with us. Lord, we love you. We ask that you help us now. Have the passion of Caleb. God, that lasts till we're 85. And 86 and 87 and 95. God, that we would still be following you with everything we've got.